One of the things that has really been striking me throughout the time is that there is no such thing as an international strategy. There is a global playbook, there's a global strategy, and there are international and regional ways to activate that strategy. And they will have to be different from each other for it to be relevant for each market. This is Inside HubSpot, where we take you behind the scenes to uncover the tactics and strategies that grew HubSpot to a $2 billion company with more than 180,000 customers globally. I'm your host, Kat Warboys. And throughout the show, we'll hear from HubSpotters, experts in their field on how we pioneered the inbound methodology, built an award-winning culture, uncovered new channels for growth, created a blog with more than 11 million subscribers, and much, much more. Whether you're a startup or a scale-up, a marketer or the CEO, you'll learn from our triumphs and our missteps that can be applied to help you grow better. When HubSpot's VP of International Marketing, Suzanne Ronkovist Amadi, joined HubSpot in 2018, there were just 20 international marketing employees globally. Today, the team has grown to over 100 members and our global offices have more than doubled. To date, customers in over 120 countries are growing their business with HubSpot. In this episode, we chat to Susie about the journey it took to get to where we are today. Susie covers one of the most pressing questions companies face when growing across borders, how and where to invest your marketing spend. Susie shares her strategy, a framework that helped transform how HubSpot makes decisions on investments from localization and channel ownership to team structures and global alignment. As a regional marketer, this is a topic close to my heart. I hope you enjoy this one. So a few facts about Susie. She has been a HubSpot for over five years, which is a very exciting milestone for HubSpotters because you get to take your sabbatical, something I will be asking Susie about very shortly. Susie also works remotely from Sweden, which is where she's joining us today. And she has a wealth of experience in leadership and marketing roles. Prior to her appointment at HubSpot, she led teams at companies including VMware and Klarna. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, Susie is my boss. So this episode really needs to be the number one for the entire show if I'm going to keep my job. So please listen, enjoy, refer the episode. And with that, I will give a very warm welcome to my boss, Susie. Thank you so much. No pressure on this being the best episode of the show. Now, this is like all the conversations you normally have, right? My uh, my 7 p.m., your what are we in, in Sweden right now? It's 11 uh, just before lunch. So I think I'm based in, in the perfect time zone because I'm. it's always a good time for me. I think it's you actually that you'll have to do the extremely late evenings or super early mornings, but it's, it works really well for me. Yeah, you're in a good spot. I am. Um, but first up, Susie, your five-year sabbatical, do you mind telling listeners about this rather wonderful perk at HubSpot and how you intend to take your sabbatical? The interesting thing with the sabbatical is that Swedes were used to almost like sabbaticals on a yearly basis because by law, we're approved for four weeks holiday during the time of June, July, and August. <laughs> so that's like government approved that all suites are used to take. Uh, so for me, this is really, it's almost like a normal, fantastic holiday on top of my regular holiday schedule. But I'll be taking a couple of weeks off now and I'm going to spend the majority of that time heads down in my new garden. So super excited about that. Not traveling the world. I've done that enough in, <laughs> in my life. 
I still love traveling, but I am going to spend it in Stockholm, just outside uh, the city where I have a little house and I'm going to hopefully get a beautiful garden that I can spend a lot of my future time in. I love that for you. Uh, and if anybody knew you, you know, a couple of years ago, <laughs> certainly pre-COVID. Shocker. This is a shocker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people at HubSpot <laughs> would describe Susie as a very stylish person. Uh, oh, but also thank you. A big, a big traveler, a big traveler. So um, I like this this phase of chilling out for you. Yeah, I used to be a city person uh, and things changed during COVID for sure. And I, uh, I needed a house to spend weekends in and, you know, go with my son and just do like physical things, like build stuff, uh, super uh, new uh, hobby of mine, but it, it'll be great. I'll spend a couple of weeks in Spain, so I'll, I'll do some traveling, but I won't do like extensive uh, worldwide traveling, but I'll be, I'll be staying in Europe. Nice. And I think uh, I'm originally from the UK, but many, I feel like Swedes and Australians would get on very well because same kind of thing, like four weeks off is a little bit the norm, but for yeah. us it's over the the Christmas period, right? For, for summer. So we pretty much shut down uh, for Christmas and New Year's, which I've personally embraced since moving to Australia. But it's the same here. I mean, we closed down in July, like particularly like in the cities, it's pretty quiet here. It's beautiful here also because we have like winter all year round, more or less, I feel like, or gray and dark. Yeah. Uh, so during the summer, super light and beautiful. So it's going to be nice just to stay here. Well, it's a very well-earned sabbatical. So let's Thank get you. into Thank you. the topic of your last five years. I you know, really want to take this back to the beginning because I think HubSpot's story of international growth is really one that has evolved continuously year on year. I don't think we've had many years that look the same. So let's jump back to the five years. You know, you were hired a little bit shockingly as the very first senior executive for our international marketing team. You know, maybe paint a picture for listeners about what HubSpot looked like back then. Yeah. You know, how big was the company at this point? How big was the international team? How many markets were we already selling into at that point? Yeah, uh, great question, because at that time, five years ago, first I felt really honored by the fact that HubSpot found me in Stockholm, Sweden. And I was reading through the job description and it, it said work from anywhere in the world. And I really took that really to to down to the level like I don't want to live anywhere else but in Stockholm so I'm going to be based in Stockholm and work from you know my home office over here and when I looked at HubSpot from an international perspective I felt that there was a ton of things that could be done I guess that's why I was hired as well of course but in essence a lot of our playbooks back then um uh, where our revenue at that time represented approximately 30% of the total volume at HubSpot. So the international revenue. So international for us was like all our, all our markets outside of the US market, which is maybe good to point out. But at that time, uh, uh, the, the playbook was very much a replica of the US motion. So a lot of things we put in market didn't take the regional nuances into consideration as much as I think it needs to be done for us to have that growth uh, that you know is possible from an international perspective. So, from a, from a numbers perspective, shy thirties total revenue. Uh, the number of folks that worked in marketing representing international was around twenty, I believe. 
it's been a, a, an amazing growth since then. Our, we had offices, and I was trying to, to triple check that this is actually correct. Where did we have offices? Because we were just about to open the Berlin office when I joined. So we had an office in um, Dublin, uh, in Berlin, Singapore, Tokyo, Sydney, and then our Boston office, of course. So we've grown a lot since then. I mean, we're 12 offices now globally. So we've doubled that. And we've doubled in size, more than doubled in size. So it's been an amazing growth uh, since then. And it was exciting as well to join as the first remote uh, VP uh, in marketing, uh, which is also something that was new. So uh, starting remote from scratch when remote wasn't really a thing, right? Uh, in that way that it is right now also taught me a lot about like working across different time zones <laughs> with teams all around the world. And it's been a, a fantastic journey. Yeah, I always say that I think international marketers were the first remote or hybrid workers, you know, years before it was a thing. We were very much adept to working with colleagues in different parts of the world, right? And what that took to collaborate in a timely way. So, um, but you're right, even then, you know, hiring somebody of your level uh, in, in, in you know, a, a country we didn't even have an office was quite a big, a, a big bet. Um, but I also think very fitting for international, right? We really embraced the international borders thing. But you're right, it, that and growth is, is pretty incredible. You know, for somebody who may not know what good expected growth could look like for a company, you know, growing like we did in that five-year yeah. period, you know, without intending to skip to, I guess, the punchline or the end of the story. What does HubSpot look like today? What's the size of our international business compared to what it was five years ago when you joined? Yeah, uh, we've done an, uh, an amazing journey. Thank you, Kat. You've been part of this journey as well. Uh, we now represent more than 50% of our of our total total business. And it was kind of interesting because I was looking at the, the lead volumes from an international perspective, and we represent the net new leads currently coming to HubSpot from an inbound perspective will be more than 70% of our net new uh, opportunities are in international. I think that's a pretty striking number. We also have over 100 persons in international marketing roles, which is significant growth thinking that we were 20 or so, you know, a couple of years ago. The interesting thing with this is that not all international folks report into me, which is also a really good sign that HubSpot is keen to invest internationally uh, without me, I pushed for it a lot, of course, but with it, without me being the sole own, you know, and only marketing owner of the team. And I think that international lens has really been established at HubSpot in an amazing way that, it, and we've, of course, we've really proved that we can grow internationally from these investments. So there's a return of the investment aspect, of course, that has been taken into consideration, but the team looks pretty different you know, compared to what it is or what it was back in back in 2018. And I also think we also think international and global from scratch more than we've done in the past. And I, I think I've I've seen this evolve in every year, in every, you know, planning session we do. It's all it's it's integrated into the plans and the playbooks we run more than it's been before. And uh, it's it's been a journey. It took us a couple of years to get here, but we've really made progress. Oh, 100%. I've been around for seven years, so I can definitely see 
what it was like when I joined even two years prior to yourself versus now. And it's just, you know, over 50% of the revenue coming from international is massive. Um, Something you touched on was, you know, you obviously had to push for that a lot. You know, that was a lot of Mm. asking for investments. That was a lot of, you know, putting the strategy forward for that growth, which we'll get into because I think that's probably one of the most important parts of the story. But, Mm. um, you know, I wanted to touch on that, that part about pushing for the investments and really championing for international. Um, You know, what was the maturity? And the reason I ask this, uh, you know, is that we conducted a survey with LinkedIn. um, Yeah into where we spoke to about a thousand different um, APAC regional or marketing leaders Mm. uh, in the region. And we found that a massive 86% of them agree that they spend too much time educating their head office about Mm. Australian nuances and and needs. Uh, Mm. And even half of them uh, were of the opinion that senior leaders in global offices are often very misaligned with local marketing. And I know when you, you know, you used to tell me a lot that your first year to two years was very much you know, just showing up to meetings and saying, what about international? Um, so we'd love to understand, you know, what was the maturity when you joined of the organization thinking about international? And maybe for people that are struggling with this right now, maybe even just some tips about how they can yep. educate their head office, wherever that is in the world. Um, how yep. can they champion for, you know, the company really understanding about their market? I think one of the things I've learned, not only at HubSpot, but like in past years working, more or less my, my whole career is in international roles. And like I've worked across Uh, several markets since more than 20 years back. And one of the things that has really been striking me throughout the time is that there is no such thing as an international strategy. There is a global playbook, there's a global strategy, and there are international and regional ways to activate that strategy. And they will have to be different from each other for it to be relevant for each market. The big nuance here that I think a lot of companies struggle with is like it's very easy to say that a market is different but it's very hard to know what things you should make local or where you need to be very local about for it to have an impact. All markets are different but buying behaviors are many times very similar and the needs of our buyers and the needs of our customers look similar across the world but it's how we do it, that is probably different from market to market. And I think one of the things, uh, I mean, just purely asking the question as well is one thing that helped. A lot of of times also when I get the question is like, well, what's the international perspective on this? I say there is no international perspective on this. Like there is not an international point of view. There are regional point of views. And the best thing for a company to like, be global first is really to build that global foundation, have strong processes, strong infrastructure, and a foundation that regional marketers can activate from. Making sure that that is clear, it's been like the win and success factor for us. There are also things like, uh, I think we're gonna, we're we're probably gonna address that later in the strategy, but like really knowing what is different in market, like search behavior is a big topic, we're gonna address that, but Are people asking things uh, online in the exact same way in France as they are in Tokyo? No, probably not. So those are the kind of things that we know are different and things we've invested in to identify playbooks to make our stories resonate stronger in market, if it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And then... I think you would probably agree with this, but a frustration that I felt around the time that you joined that has definitely changed at HubSpot 
is this view that localization is purely language, like translating from English to non-English. And so there was a lot of focus on non-English regions, whereas, you know, as many Australians who have probably had their fill of US advertisements will know, the localization is about humor. It's about accents and really important in today's world, it's about relevancy, be that, you know, the political environment that we're working in or even just popular culture. So I think that's something else that, you know, if I was to think current state when you joined was just this view. I don't know whether you agree or that with that as much, but it felt very much that we were looking at international and prioritizing non-English markets. 100% agree. And a good example here is from a HubSpot perspective, you know, we didn't have teams for English markets, more or less, with the exception of APAC, right? Yeah. But if you take one of our absolute largest markets and our largest opportunities, the UK and I, great example. We did not have teams specifically supporting those markets. So a lot of the playbooks we developed, relevantly so back then, were based on the inbound model, which is very language focused and builds upon the language as the core differentiator. While now, 2023, what we're seeing, just the the language isn't just the core differentiator. To your point, there are other local nuances, the culture aspects to take into consideration to make programs uh, from a marketing perspective, also from a sales perspective, much more relevant. Yeah. I like to use this example a lot just because I think it's uh, a really practical one and, and everybody loves some stats, but we ran, as you would know, Susie, in Australia, we were running audio ads uh, across a podcast network. Yeah. We decided to change the American voiceover or the readout on those ads to an Australian voiceover. Uh, and the result was actually quite outstanding. They had the, well, that is the Aussie voice red ads had a conversion rate that was 13% higher than the American host red ads. And then we also saw that we were able to uh, influence just over a third more leads through that as well. So simply by changing accent for relevancy. So, mm. you know, not even the script or the positioning. So, yeah, I think really good, good example of that. And a good global organization will know that, right? They will know when they build a program, like a global brand program, it has to be something that can be changed and uh, adapted to the specific needs of the market. And that is also one thing that we pushed for a lot in our global programs, like make sure we build, uh, you know, new, we build in a possibility to grow and expand and change the playbook for it to work in our markets. Having that global first mindset has been really key for us. And I think the leaders we have hired are really global first. Their whole mindset is about that, which is also, it, it is making things much easier for us that are operating in a market as well. I love that. I see that a lot at HubSpot. You know, if we are seeing a role hired for an essential team yeah. or central competence, it is, you know, not uncommon by any means to have myself or somebody from one of our other Correct. regions be a part of that hiring process to make sure that we are ticking off, you know, testing for that international, that global thinking mindset in every candidate. So yeah. I think that's, you know, I think that's something really admirable that, that HubSpot does. Yeah, it's true. True, really. I didn't think about that at first, but it's really true. Like we, we, we frequently bring you in for the conversation. We ensure that we have that aspect really considered first before anything else. Yeah, it's true. So one thing that I would like to get into, because I know that a lot of companies, you know, in Australia who might be thinking about expanding globally, whether that's into UK and I or Asia, 
What I think many companies struggle with is what, you know, channels, what competencies should they have in market? Should they localize versus those that should remain in central teams? And it's a hard balance to strike, right? You want to create efficiencies. You know, no no company wants to just replicate each marketing channel and team in each market they're in. That's just crazy, of course. But, you know, how do you have those efficiencies without trading off the best outcome for a lot of the market relevancy you and I have already talked about? And I know one of the first things you did when you joined was to implement that much needed strategy that we needed at HubSpot at that point. That was the two, what we refer to uh, HubSpot as the two by two. And this was really designed, you know, for you to help the organization think and be really led by a strategy around how and where do we allocate investments. So I was hoping you could go into a little bit of detail about what is this model? What does it look like? Um, yeah, explain this to, to us all how it works. Yeah, thank you for that. It's old but gold, as we've <laughs> referred, we've referred to it as old but gold several times because I think the original, the OG two by two uh, that I set up 2018 was really good for us from an international perspective because it helped articulate where and how to invest. And we based this on an axis that really articulated where the competency is regionally specific or if it's domain specific without a regional perspective uh, as the core point of gravity for it. So the big shift there was that before we struggled with identifying whether a competence or an investment should be in region or in a central team, which basically led to everything being in region at first as the first concept for how to grow and expand a market. So we owned pretty much everything associated to marketing in region. But instead, the big shift back then was, okay, where is really the regional nuance the most important? And where is that the point of gravity? What type of marketing programs do we need to own and run in market? So that was the big thing we looked at first. And then the language component as the other axis on it, because language in an inbound model is really a core differentiator. The interesting thing with this, it's not a go-to-market strategy. It's an investment strategy for how to think about setting up teams from the get-go in an international context. The core win from this, I'll give you just a couple of examples. If you take search engine optimization as an approach, it's based on how people behave in search online, right? And when I joined, the, the teams, our acquisition teams, we're really proud of the amazing growth we've seen from, from an organic perspective to our blogs. But Kat, no one actually did search behavior or search insights or analysis based on a market level or down on a country level. So one of the first things or one of the first teams we invested in was actually a search optimization team that could run the specific insights report and understand the unique nuances of the market and then the in-region competence around creating and articulating stories relevant for markets then became based on those search insights reports so we actually decided to invest in a full, what we refer to competency team, a central domain expertise around search optimization that then helped us build the foundation for how we went to market with our content playbook in language. And we've grown our blogs 
10x since then the traffic from our blogs and it represents millions of visitors on a monthly basis so super excited about that but that's just one example of how we thought about investments in the first og two by two and that was of course very inbound focused and very much wrapped around the concept of educating markets adding value to markets before extracting anything back. So that's the core and the heart of HubSpot's business, of course. And it was the model and our go-to-market approach back then. That has, of course, changed a lot over the past years, but it's been a winning model for how to think about investments internationally. So we look at what's the strongest need for the specific program. Is it based on a central or is it built on a competency that is uh, agnostic of the market? Or is it specific to the market? And that helps articulate where we should build that team or that function up. It was a huge change. I still remember uh, the presentation, the results being <laughs> uh, revealed at a kickoff, which is something we did every every January. And it was just, yeah. it was just huge. And I think you're right. I think it was taking the bread and butter to what HubSpot was, which is the inbound motion, and saying, how do we solve for this international? And it was the biggest opportunity by far, I think, on the table as, as was proven in, in the results that we saw. Yeah, it was the first a sort of central, you call it central international investment that then also led to us uh, like rethinking our approach and our go-to-market for other functions within marketing as well and or other channels, you can say. So it's been a, it, it was really a, a big shift in, in, you know, how we thought about investments and it made it easier every year when we did budgeting and planning mm. because there was no real debate for where investments should go because it, it made it clear also for the management team to look at the global perspective and then use that as a guiding principle for how to expand internationally which it, it really worked yeah yeah and I know that today you, I know we call it the old, old but gold. <laughs> old, old but gold, OG. It has, you know, many names. It does. I know that you're actually rethinking uh, the old yep. and golden a little bit. Maybe we'll be sunsetting it, who knows, uh, or just reshaping it in some form. But I know you've been thinking about the model a lot recently. Um, I was yep. hoping you could tell us a little bit about what has actually changed, you know, from, yeah. you know, five years ago, of course, a lot has changed when you made this, but what in particular has prompted you to reassess that particular two by two in that strategy? Why is it potentially not as relevant or going to serve us in this next phase of growth as a company? There are a couple of reasons for this. I think, I still think my, uh, or are, I should say, but I'm very proud of it. So I call it my own, but it's really HubSpot's international two by two. I'm really proud of, of the growth we've seen from that investment structure. But I think as the world is changing, and we've seen that in the past couple of years, is that we need to even be more local and more value focused in markets in regions than we've been in the past. Because our volume game, our inbound playbook that has been such a great motion for us to expand globally is evolving and it's changing AI is going to change online and search behaviors for sure. We're all seeing that and it, we're all witnessing how different that is compared to just a year ago, right? And it's happening fast and it's happening now as we speak. So I think our opportunity to work more insightful with higher touch motions in market will require different type of uh, marketing playbooks in region, more focused on the value and the revenue programs than we've seen in the past. So for me, it's really about investing in value 
influential playbooks in market aiming towards revenue versus building large volume sets in market. That I think we will be better off optimizing and centralizing. So it's removing a little bit of that regional versus domain expertise axis in the two by two and shifting that more to look at the buyer's perspective and the buyer's journey to ensure that we are really effective in our motions aiming to help buyers that are out there and help our you know prospecting customers grow better by being much more intentional in market with the value playbook value playbooks for us are really the higher touch motions that is it's a different marketing tactics associated to that compared if you look to a pure volume game which has really been the heart and the bread and butter of you know hubspot's whole uh, international model and just to clarify when we to give really specific examples of what yeah. we mean by the value motion do you want to give a list off a couple of what those activities look like i mean I know, for example, because we're doing them at the moment and we're really yeah. starting to test out this model yeah. and and yeah. and really, you know, practice that in at least in this region. Um, are things like community, right? Customer plays, community plays. But what else comes to your mind when you think about value motions? Just to clarify for our listeners. I think the value playbook for us is really about moving marketing into a function that helps really build pipeline in region and that works in tight collaboration with sales. Uh, you mentioned the community playbook, the community aspects of really being visible where our customers in market go to research and identify ways, you know, to grow their business. But really the combination of that revenue higher touch motion and the brand, the brand programs are extremely important for us in the value motion. And I think the volume playbook for us really can be more centralized and optimized on an ongoing basis. It doesn't need that regional aspect as much as it did before. However, the volume playbook also needs to be organized by market, which is something that is changing with this. So it's not that we're removing the volume playbook from an in-region motion and saying like, hands off, we're not going to touch that, but it's really making sure that it works and that we have a central playbook that can run it, but that we in market much more intense focus on our communities that are then the whole global inbound playbook will help us cater for. Yeah, they're really good examples. And I think you'll find that the Australian market agrees with you. I know you didn't come up with that strategy based off of this, but this is a good gut check for you. So in that same survey that we did with LinkedIn, you know, we asked the APAC marketing leaders to really rank the channels that they mm -hmm. felt were managed by their headquarters, but actually needed to be more exclusively in the region or owned by the local team. And that number one channel was brand. Uh, followed by PR and comms and sales enablement was in there as well. So exactly to your point around the way you think about value at the brand and then at that sort of revenue marketing, supporting the sales team. It's so, interesting. Yeah, you are completely in line. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally what the market told us. It's interesting because this is like our ability to be much more intentional in our prospecting motions in market is also being disrupted as we speak with the same type of tools and technology that we see is changing the the volume playbook with ai etc so being much more considerate and working really intense with sales enabling sales to have that reason to reach out and have those thoughtful conversations is that the possibilities with that is like endless now compared to what it looked like five years ago so uh, i think that is also changing the approach for HubSpot, combining 
inbound and outbound motions and brand will be, you know, the winning formula going forward versus having it just purely focused on an inbound playbook. Yeah. Going back just a little bit to some of the team structure and the, and the competencies you mentioned, because I know that when I tell people about this, they find it particularly interesting, but I was hoping you could share a little bit about our international champs and the role that they play in our team, how they yep. have helped us, where that concept came from. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool model. And I was hoping you could, you could share a bit more about that. Yes, uh, it, it was part of the original uh, setup in the two by two, because we very fast realized when we launched that if we don't have a regional person to run a program, and if we don't have an international competency in the central function, how do we go about executing on our programs that we believe are global, but, but we don't have capacity basically to, to run it, or we don't have an international strategy or foundation really set. Well, we have champions for that. So that was a, a that was a, an interesting investment we started making back in 2018, I believe our first champions were hired. What they do is that they take a central playbook and they internationalize it. And it can be things like customer comms, it can be website strategies, it can be revenue marketing. Right now, for example, we have a new champion looking after that. And in essence, they are the glue and they ensure that our central programs have international relevance and they also help educate and feed the central teams with international insights to ensure, or regional insights, I should say, to make sure they, you know, our central teams are uh, more effective in running their global motions. So it's really the glue, the glue between two functions within HubSpot has been really effective. And these champion teams, some of them have evolved into a, and a full central function, and some of them evolve into a regional full capacity. So it's really just, uh, you know, depending on how we evolve as a business, we also see these roles evolve in different ways. You know what I love about it? It's such an efficiency play. You know, we don't have product marketers in region, um, yet every region has the same questions about did global do, you know, market research that included, you know, our yeah. region, yeah. first of all, so we can use those yeah. insights. What can we expect? What kind of materials? How can you help localize that? And, you know, when you've got several regions asking the same questions, this person is really making, this champ is really making huge strides in that central product marketing team, representing international, ensuring as much as possible, it can be a global uh, approach to say product marketing in this, this scenario. So, you know, many regions, but one champ helping, you know, internationalize a playbook. It's, it's super efficient. Super efficient. Yeah. And setting up processes is a big thing. So, you know, going global as well, uh, which is also a huge part of that person's responsibility. Like, will this actually fly? Will, you know, from a content perspective, but also like, do we have the right process? Do we have a right cadence of information and comms associated to this to make it really effective globally? And they play a massively important role in that. Yeah. Kudos to the champion teams. I think one last question for you, Susie, today, a bit of a summary or a recap, you know, for our leaders listening who might be on that journey of building their international marketing organization. Maybe they are looking at the UK or Asian markets, uh, which is where many Australian and New Zealand brands actually expand to first. You know, where should they begin in your viewpoint? And I know there's so many, well, it depends in that, but I guess as a guiding direction for anyone setting up that org overseas or expanding 
yeah, what's some advice that you'd give for them to, to get started? That's a great question, Kat. I believe first and foremost, how ready is your company as a whole to go international? Like, do you really have fundamental beliefs that you're, let's say you're a B2B SaaS company, do you have a growth ambition that is global? That's the first thing to be really aligned on as a company, as a whole. A first investment from an international perspective we know will wear many, many hats, which is a challenge. Those roles are super hard to hire, at least in my experience, like you're asking for someone that can really understand the market deep enough in that as well, someone that really understands your customer base, uh, so putting the customer first here, it's really easy to have an inside uh, perspective on the market you're entering. And without knowing your market and knowing your customers on the ground, so to speak, you're in a really tough situation. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, re I think it's simple, but very, very good advice. Um, the generalist piece, you know, that first hire. I think is there to really figure things out, right? To experiment, to find out what is working in market, what can you maybe get away with not localizing for a little while, right? But, you know, what are your non-negotiables when it comes to localization? Exactly. It's a really interesting thing you, you touched on. Like, I couldn't agree with you more, but it, again, in that study, I was uh, surprised that 43% of marketers agree that when they're entering a new market, it's more effective to hire a local marketer, i.e. based in the country, than mm. a regional marketer based in the region of the country. So, you know, I would expect that to be a lot higher personally, because um, I think your takeaway there is local wins and start with the generalist. 100%. Like, because if you bring in someone that is a super specialist in an area, you can find contractors, you can, you can find experts in markets probably that will know that specific part of marketing, but you need to have someone that really understands the customer, really understands the nuances of the market and really can identify what will work and what will not work versus someone is the best at, you know, specialist in something. So I'd really go broad and really have someone that a deep market understanding that you can have really also aligned with the, the specific sales needs of that market, which is critical in, in the new world. Susie, uh, I loved our conversation. Uh, I'm going to let you go. However, uh, it's a story I know well, but I always love chatting about our growth journey with you. Uh, and you're an exceptional leader for international. So thank you oh, as thank well. thank you so and, much. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see where you take us next in this next very exciting, ever-changing future that we seem to, to be in. So We're in it now. It's a good time to learn. It's, a, it's an amazing time. It's like, especially for us, you know, globally, uh, markets are evolving differently, but there is a, if you have a growth mindset, this is the best time as a marketer. Yeah, 100%. So much happening. And local wins, right? That's local wins. Everyone's takeaway. With. Always. <laughs> International wins, but local first, right? <laughs> yes, 100%. Thank you, Susie. Thank you so much. Have the best day. Thanks for tuning in to Inside HubSpot. If you liked what you listened to and want to hear more stories, please subscribe and check out all resources in our show notes or head to hubspot.com forward slash inside hubspot. We'll catch you on the next episode.